Hello, welcome to another episode of Other Record Labels. I'm Scott Orr. Today's episode is with Portland's Good Cheer Records, home of Sancho, Little Star, Boreen, and Cool American. Before we get to that, I want to give a shout out to the people at Work Hard Playlist Hard who are helping us out by sponsoring the podcast. They've got a new ebook out that is all about playlisting and learning the world of Spotify playlists. Um, it, it, playlisting has been such a daunting thing for me running our label Other Songs. A few summers ago, we got a, a few of our songs randomly featured on a, a few official Spotify playlists, and the play counts just went insane. It actually turned into a nice little bit of cash for the artists and for the label. Um, so naturally, I, I became obsessed with with checking our streaming numbers and 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 trying to get more of our songs featured. I felt like as soon as I started to figure out some things, the more evasive the whole thing became. Uh, through this podcast, I've tried to to get some insights and tips from other labels to see what they do to get their tracks featured on on official Spotify playlists. In addition to the official playlists, there's these other curators out there like Indie Mono. You, maybe you've heard of them. Um, Song Picker is a, is a great one, uh, especially for folk music. Work Hard Playlist Hard. And that's actually how I originally found out about Work Hard Playlist Hard. I, I had heard that they were one of the big curators that you need to submit your stuff to. So in the past, I've sent tracks to them for their consideration, and they've featured a few of our songs over the past year. Anyway, they have this new ebook out that the founder, Michael Warner, wrote, and he sent me a copy a couple of weeks ago. I printed it out right away and have been going back through it quite a bit over the, the past few weeks and, and working on some of the ideas and suggestions that it has for improving your streaming presence and, and for just overall doing a better job at um, getting in touch with the curators and, and making yourself uh, present online um, as an artist and as an indie label and, and the artists you represent in order to uh, to hopefully get featured. I mean, it's still a really um, mysterious process. Um, and, uh, you know, we're all just kind of learning it together. I really endorse this book. You can you can check it out at ebook.otherrecordlabels.com. And if you use the code OTHER, you get 10% off. So please do that. It helps the podcast, and it's a great resource for indie labels and for folks out there who are self-releasing their music. I'm uh, I'm glad that Ben hooked us up, but I actually am familiar with your label um, from just from Twitter, I think, and just from like your engagement with other people in the past couple of years. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, uh, so yeah. I mean, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. <laughs> uh, I mean, Twitter has honestly been uh, just like one of the greatest resources in terms of uh especially connecting with writers but then also yeah connecting with like other labels and yeah that's a good uh, stuff like that yeah that's a good point um i actually hadn't hadn't really thought of that but like a lot of people um yeah a lot of people a lot of labels will kind of connect with each other and totally somebody will say have you ever used this service before or um and yeah, that's a, that's a good totally. Point. Okay, so when did you start the label? The label's called Good Cheer Records, right? When, yes. When did exactly. you start, and 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 where did you get the idea of starting a label? Um. So you know, my I uh, uh just to totally go back to the kind of very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Do it. I um ended up I during my like late uh, mid I guess mid to late twenties I was working in like government and nonprofit stuff and okay. then um had uh had a kid and so <laughs> um after that I took about a year off just to take care of him and so when I re-entered the workforce uh kind of the only kind of job that I could get that worked with the childcare situation was uh like a retail food service thing and so uh you know that work not being particularly fulfilling creatively or right. otherwise uh <laughs> started doing a lot of music stuff on the side to kind of satisfy um just my need to to do something that's you know meaningful and so i worked at uh the college station here at portland state um was the promotions director there and through that work, I met uh, Mo Troper. I uh, had him do an acoustic thing on the radio. 
And from there, you know, we kind of sparked up a friendship. And so at some point he pitched the idea to me to do uh, a label together. And uh, so him and I co-founded the label in late 2014 and uh, did our first releases in 2015. Okay. Um, the first set of stuff we did that year was basically just, um, you know, doing tapes for some bands that uh, Mo was friends with at the time. And so, you know, I kind of mark the first official year of doing stuff as 2016. Oh, okay. um, so, so two years after the, you came up with the idea. Exactly. Yeah. You know, 2015, we did about four things. Mm-hmm. Uh all of which, you know, I feel really strongly about, you know, still and a lot of our bands that we work with and people just in the scene here remember those releases. Uh, but it was definitely more of a hobby at that point, whereas like, you know, in 2016, it became a thing where uh, it started to like take up a lot more of my time. And hmm. so that's kind of the first year of doing it, um, you know, as a, a serious pursuit, I guess. Is your partner um, still with you? No, Mo left the label side of things in um, late 2016, uh, basically just to focus on his own music more. Hmm. Um, it was always a thing where he was helping me cover expenses, but I was still the, you know, label manager, so to speak, in terms of taking care of the day-to-day stuff and things like that. So when he left, it didn't really change the, uh, you know, day-to-day operations as much. It was kind of more of a, um, some financial change that occurred with that. Whereas, you know, going from one person Going from two people going out of pocket for expenses to one was definitely a, a big adjustment. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. And he was also helping with a lot of our A&R stuff. Um, that was some of the most significant work that he did. Um, and so that position of basically just like helping me pick the bands to work with, mm-hmm. um, I did get someone else who's on you know, quote unquote staff. Uh, right. And her name's Maya Stoner. And so she is the kind of took his symbolic uh, president role and, and is helping me pick the bands that we work with now. Oh, that's great. Um, but yeah, you know, I, we finally did the, the LLC thing recently. <laughs> nice. And so it's a, you know, it's a single member LLC. So, you know, I'm, my official title now is basically owner. Um, and I'm the sole owner of the label, but I do have uh, Maya helping with with quite a few things, um, and then I also have an assistant that helps with a lot of our social media stuff. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, no, you know, it's and it's very much like even though it is, you know, me that's ultimately responsible for most things that you know on a you know, responsibility level. Right. Uh, it is a community of artists and um, just the fact that we do a scene based thing uh, means that it really does feel like a big family and the, we have a pretty high degree of bands that go to each other's shows and, you know, post about each other's music. Right. And That's good. Are following what we're doing. Um, that is, I think pretty integral to, you know, why our audience that we have follows what we do. Um, That's really powerful. If the bands can kind of come together and um, boost up every new release and share it on their social media, that's, you know, the, the, the great thing about a label is having bands being able to share resources like physical resources or contacts, but to be able to share uh, hype, (laughs) that's huge. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, in some ways it's been um, one of the most sustaining things about what we do is just like the community aspect of things. Um, You know, it's at some point, it's one of those things where it does present its own series of challenges where um, there is a degree of competition built in when everyone knows each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
And so, you know, I, I do deal with that aspect sometimes of where it's like, you know, why did they get a stereo gum thing, but oh, my yeah. record not yeah, get a yeah, stereo yeah. gum thing? And yeah. I know every label deals with that to a degree, but right. when right. everyone actually does personally know each other, it's definitely more <laughs> of a dynamic that comes into play. Well, I try to I try to be more fair at my label. Nobody gets a stereo gum review. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody yeah, gets I, any uh, press. <laughs> right. It's even across I, the board. Um, yeah, the, the press <laughs> aspect of things is definitely has been one of the most difficult if not the most difficult thing oh really uh, how so explain that um well you know i uh i mean i agree with you topic yeah yeah you know i um since the summer we've done almost all of our own press in-house okay that's Uh, great yeah you know i Prior to that, we've, you know, paid some publicist and, you know, the, some of our first experiences with working with publicists were, you know, really amazing. And we had some campaigns that, um, you know, in terms of the sites we got featured on, were really, you know, the best you could hope for Mm. when we did Moe's record, we were on you know, Pitchfork and NPR and all those sites. Um, And so, you know, we worked with one publicist that did that. I worked with another who was a a local guy who I really, to this day, recommend to a lot of people who are looking for that. Um, And he was also doing really great work for us and, you know, really consistently getting Gun things and other things. Uh, Going into the second year when we were, you know, still paying out of pocket for PR for a couple things, uh, the results really tailed off. And mm. so, you know, it became a thing where, you know, we were paying the same amount or in some cases more um, when some rates got raised for, you know, some really diminishing returns. Right. Um, right. The other thing is that um, I think a lot of people get really focused in on, press and getting coverage on big sites is this like key to like legitimacy or being Mm -hmm. able to do things full time where it's like, you know, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. It is helpful. And getting on those sites does result in additional sales. Right. um, Oh, opens a degree of doors, but at the same point, you know, it's like, um, I, you know, Mo, even after being on all those sites was still, you know, booking shows in coffee shops and houses. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and I know a lot of people who are in that situation where, you know, so I, someone I know is on their second record where they've been on NPR and Stereo Gum and all these places. And she's still, you know, having to do the house show, bar show thing. Sure. Yeah. And is, you know, in debt it, at this point, thousands right. of dollars. Right. Uh, just it's just a small, the, it's just a small piece of the puzzle, right? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. You know, and a couple of bands that I've worked with where I've done our press in house, um, have had, uh, you know, very similar results in terms of sales and show offers and, mm. and everything else that you would actually, you know, use as a more legitimate means to measure success as opposed to just, you know, Oh, I got it on NPR, and I can send that to my mom. Yeah, she's really excited about it. I think you bring uh, up. I think you bring up a good point that, like, you have to really ask yourself: is like getting on those sites. Is that about furthering the career of the artist, or is that just about looking good to other artists or other labels who know what that means? You know, because I think we yes. all see these bands getting on Pitchfork and think, "Oh man, they've made it." You know. Um, mm-hmm. But really, maybe that's all that's coming out of it. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I I used to have that reaction to seeing people on on those big sites. You know, of course, now my reaction is, it's like, oh, I wonder who's working on that campaign. <laughs> How much and did that I cost? Can go, <laughs> I can go and, you know, look on their Facebook or see yeah. who retweeted it and, yeah. and see, you know, which, which oh, publicist yeah. is working on it. But I, um, it's an aspect of things where uh, it very much... And, you know, not to get into the weeds too mm. much, 
but it's it's another effect of like the way the kind of animal that American capitalism has become in right. recent years where it's a commodity that's been sold to people as the, you know, this signifier of something more than what it is. And so, you know, for some bands, they really just like, don't feel like they're worthy or legitimate unless mm. they get featured on certain sites. And, you know, I try to sit down and, you know, explain to people like, you know, stereo gum is owned by a investment firm in Connecticut. Like it's not a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I think uh, there really is just a, a lack of dialogue over this particular issue. And the fact that uh, a lot of people on music Twitter will talk about, you know, Marxism and, and Bernie Sanders and mm -hmm. all this stuff. And then just very much, uh, you know, uh, consume their their music through these very corporate right. lenses. Right. These sites that are in one way or another beholden to corporations, shareholders. Interesting. Um, you know, even yeah. NPR Music, I went through um, their like top 10 albums of 2017. And every single one of those albums was either distributed by Universal, mm. Sony, or Warner. Right. And that's like public radio, yeah. like listener-supported and, yeah. and government-supported. Yeah. And they're ultimately just as beholden to you know the corporate forces right. pulling the strings of the music industry as anyone else. There, um, you know, that's a good point. And there was a lot of talk. I remember at the end of 2017 when all the year-end lists were coming out, and there was a lot of talk about this publicist thing. And I don't want to, you know, we're not saying anything negative about publicists because I, I have I have a dear friend who's a great publicist, and and I, the time that I've shelled out the money for one um they did a great job and i was really thankful for it and it takes a lot off my plate um but you know i remember there was a lot of talk at the end of 2017 where um a lot of people are looking at these year-end lists and saying how many people on this year-end list did their own pr how many people you know had a, a pretty significant budget to uh yeah you know in a way to get on these lists yeah you know and i would say you know too i'm also not um being negative mm -hmm. about publicists yeah. at all. And um, a lot of the people we work with, you know, has, have gotten us really good results that have been um, really helpful in any number of ways. What I am against though, are is, uh, people, you know, feeling pressured by one force or another uh, to pay for things that they can't afford. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah. I, I do think that that happens with any number of things, you know, even bands, you know, feeling like they need to have their music on vinyl and, you yeah. know, putting $2,200 yep. on yeah. an Amex and yeah. having hundreds of records sitting around their house. It's kind of, um, I think uh, most of the stuff that, you know, I am still paying off, you know, this year from, you know, many months and, and years ago uh, is stuff that if I had known more mm -hmm. or thought about it more, wouldn't have spent money on. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. you know, I, I do think that all, you know, I think, you know, whether it's it's publicists or vinyl manufacturers or radio promoters, I think that all those people are, are great. And I think that, you know, everyone one way or another is just like struggling to make a living in a, yeah. you know, a crumbling industry. Totally. Yep. So I have a lot of sympathy for, for everyone. Yep. Um, but I, my thing is just when I'm having conversations with people, um, all those resources are great if they're actually, you know, warranted, you know, I have a friend who, his label has really taken off in, in recent years. And so he has a, a distribution deal with like fat possum. And okay. he has a vinyl clubs that he are buying his records mm -hmm. and he has this stream of licensing money coming in. And so for him to work with a publicist, it makes a lot of sense because he has the resources to support that yeah. and to yeah. cover it and, if people see the article and they want to get the record, there's all these means in which they can get sure. it. 
you know, a small label like ours or a band self-releasing, um, you're not going to have any of those resources. Yeah. yeah. And so for you to pay for that kind of stuff, um, even if you do get some really good results, you're just not going to have the same degree of means to take advantage of it. So that's a really good, that's a really good point, actually. I mean, that's, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's kind of like what we're saying is like, is that there's there's these things like a, a really great recording studio with a great console and vintage gear. Those are amazing things, but we you really do have to ask the bands like, what is it that we are? Should you be buying? I mean, of course, these are great things to buy, but should you buy them? Are we at that stage yet? Right. And I, I never thought about that about distribution. It's a great example. It's like let's say you get all this great you know East Coast press, but nobody from the East Coast can. And let's say you you shell out the money to buy vinyl. But how is somebody in on the East Coast going to get a vinyl, or or somebody in Canada, or overseas? Yeah, right. Yeah, no, that's a that's an interesting point. So, what role does Portland play into to your label? Because, uh, and 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 I'm curious. I mean, we've talked to a lot of labels from Portland, and mm-hmm. um, is it harder? Is it easier to run a label in Portland? I know there's 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 quite a few out there. Yeah, you know, I think um, for me. You know, we have a a Portland first mentality in almost okay every way that we operate. Is that like Trump's America first? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm um, from Canada, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. I guess I shouldn't use that. Uh, <laughs> no, that's okay. Phrase. That's okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I wasn't referencing anything like that. Certainly, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, no, I um I uh, and so for us, you know, we work with only portland bands with one exception uh you know we are the people who get our you know records and promos sent first are you know portland writers and Mm. um you know we spend a lot of time organizing local shows and events uh you know, we have a group here. I don't know if anyone else you've talked to has mentioned it, but it's called Portland Label Coalition. And so, yeah, Ben and I talked about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm a member of that and I That's amazing. Um, am paying the dues and stuff for our website and the monthly thing for our emails. And, you know, I'm doing that with label funds uh, just because I think awesome. it's an important thing to, to keep going. And so... Uh, I think that for us doing the scene-based thing, you know, it has all this these benefits that I've been talking to you about. I think it certainly brings a degree of challenge that a lot of other labels don't have to deal with. You said that you like to you you kind of aim to document the music scene. Um, like, mm-hmm. what does that mean to you? I've heard that I, that verb used before, but what does that mean? Yeah. Well, you know, I I think a lot of the things that we've done, um, I've gone into knowing that there, you know, would not be a degree of uh, sales or uh, appeal to music writers, all those things, but that I'm still willing to, you know, spend money and, and put something out just based on the fact that I think that it's a significant release of, um, uh, you know, within Portland music history. Mm. Um, and so for me, uh, that's just another aspect of, you know, how Portland relates to what we do. Um, I've had a lot of records get sent to me or that, you know, I'm friends with the people making them that I know would bring a, a pretty big degree of, you know, sales or, attention right um but i end up not putting them out because i don't want to stray from from our mission of being a a portland centric label and Mm. so um i would never assert that you know we're some kind of authority on you know general portland music but i do think that within the community we operate we've done a pretty good job of uh showcasing you know the best bands of of the scene that we're working in i think there's some exceptions to that of people i wasn't able to work with for one reason or another uh but i think that by and large we've done a pretty good job within this kind of 
idiom of like guitar pop um, of, of, you know, bands of a certain age, I think we've done a pretty good job of, of being representative of what's going on. Um, you guys say on your website that you release pop music, but that's not really true. Like, is there like a genre or a label that you can best describe your bands? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the big, the, the way that we've described it from the beginning has been, um, you know, punk bands playing pop songs. And I, I do <laughs> think that that rings true to, right. to an extent still. I think that there has been a real transformation in uh, the rock world where there's been a real embrace of just bread and butter indie rock mm. recently yeah. where, you know, there's quite a few labels I can point to that three to five years were you know, releasing mall punk and emo records. Right. And, you know, now the artists they work with, you know, sound like a, a mid two thousands, like paste magazine sampler. Yeah. Uh, good point. Yeah, and so it's, uh, has been funny, you know, seeing, um, cause for a lot of people, you know, especially within music Twitter, where, you know, it seems like people's sense of, you know, historical memory, only lasts for a couple months. Um, mm -hmm. It's it has been funny to to see this where it's like you know you you remember some of the bands that these labels have worked with, and now you know they're putting out stuff that uh, like oh check this out it sounds like Elliot Smith. Right. Uh, right. It's just really funny because you know from Mo and I's perspective, especially when we started this you know, him and I have always been into that kind of music. And so to see the national scene um, embrace the same kind of stuff has, has just been really interesting. Yeah. Um, Elliot Smith, obviously being the, you know, the Portland example of, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of type of indie rock. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's really where a lot of the rock audience is at where, they're kind of embracing these more um, kind of like indie atmospheric, very palatable mm -hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, I know it's a good point. Now I think it's, I mean, we talked about this a little bit with um, 6131 with, you know, after their success with Julian Baker, how there was a few, you know, other labels who kind of went after that same sound. So, you know, I think it's just kind of, a lot of people, and this happened too with Mumford and Sons. After that, there was a big folk push and banjo push, and I, I think it's probably now that you know you you hear a lot of this kind of slow rock and this like kind of lo-fi rock. Um, I think that you know mid-sized labels and even major labels are just kind of want to get in on the action, possibly. Right, and you know I think that's where. Um, I think, you know, there's in general when it comes to curation of any kind, you know, there's kind of two groups of people. And, and one is, you know, kind of the people that stick their finger to the wind and um, <laughs> say like, you know, what is, what is trending yeah, right now? Sure. <laughs> and then there's the other people that um, try to make trends of their own. Yeah. And so uh, I think, for me, I've always wanted to be in that latter category. And I think that, you know, there's a, a case to be made for, you know, labels that have a lot of longevity um, can fall into either of those categories. Uh, but, you know, the ones that I certainly have a lot of affinity for are the ones that have been more or less doing the same thing since the beginning. Mm. And you can kind of see the industry, you know, a great example of that is a Portland label dirt nap where, you know, they put out that exploding hearts record, which is for my money that, you know, the greatest Portland rock album of all time. Hmm. Um, and so you see people labels like that, that more or less, you know, do the same thing or, you know, Asian man out of, you know, uh, Southern California. Um, they kind of, go in and out of, you know, vogue and consciousness. Right. right. Um, but they remain I true to themselves. Yeah. yeah. And I think the labels that do, you know, whatever is popular at the time, 
I think, uh, you know, maybe they stay in the limelight a little longer or, you know, are able to constantly kind of like spin to like the whims of the, the buying public or, or yeah. what's hot with music yeah. writers and stuff. But I do think that their highs are, are just not as high. I want, um, I want to ask about your sound. Um, you know, we are yeah. talking a little bit about the sound, but I want to ask like more specifically about like the recording process. Like mm-hmm. one of the great things about like indie labels and yours is like that, you know, more garage or lo-fi sound. And that's really becoming, um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this today, listening to your album, sam- your artist sampler. And I was, mm-hmm. I was thinking about how, um, in the old days, and I mean like maybe 10 years ago or 20 years ago before, home recording was more accessible it was like pro studio or nothing you know what i mean it was like yeah. you either went in and spent the money and made a proper record um or if you did it at home on your laptop like in the early 2000s or even late 2000s it it wasn't really acceptable now it's like kind of like formed its own genre um and even you know i was thinking this uh there's a cool american track that starts mm-hmm. off with that tape sound queuing up are you involved mm-hmm. with this recording process? Like, how are the the majority of these records being recorded and mixed? Um, I am very rarely involved in that stage of the process. Okay, I, it does vary, and that this is another thing that's different about our label than many others is that you know our relationships with bands are very different from from group to group, um, and sometimes you know I'm not shown recordings until they're completely mastered and have Hmm. art and then other times you know i'm given iphone demos of songs it really just depends on yeah you know what what role i'm playing um to bands and what their level of of comfort is with me um and so i'm not involved in the recording process at all um that's something that our our bands have all um you know done themselves and so the benefit to that is just our our bands are given you know half of every product run that we do up front um because i don't have to build in the cost of um paying for recording time or mastering or what have you right uh the other benefit of that is that the bands have complete control over those stages of those processes where they're not having to record at a particular studio with a particular person they're not having their record mastered in a certain way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, they're not even having me um, have control or input over the artwork. Right. Um, Interesting. Mo- um, almost all of our artwork has been totally done by the bands, and I, in all cases, just rubber stamp everything. Wow, um, good for you. The only, the only case that I could imagine not doing that with is if I really thought something was offensive or (laughs) problematic you know fortunately (laughs) i don't work with people that uh, would do that anyway (laughs) and in a lot of cases you know the bands we work with are uh someone in the band is you know doing some kind of artistic thing already where they're in design school they're in art school they're uh you know painting in their spare time um, that happens more often than not. In fact, for almost every band we've worked with, there's only been two or three cases where I've had to pay a designer or they have to get a designer hmm. or something of that nature. Um, well, that and can, that's that part can, of our aesthetic really yeah. is that you, it varies a lot between from band to band. And that's because they they have the autonomy of being able to do that. So I think that's, I mean, that could go really bad, but I mean, looking at your band camp page, the art, you know, the art's great. Like there's a lot of really special pieces on here. Um, and maybe that's just a testament to picking great bands who have great taste right from the beginning. I th- you know, I think that is part of it where uh the people we're working with are um you know already have a de- a degree of talent and agency. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I I do think that we've had some some really cool covers. I I love all the stuff that um Nathan from from Cool American does. Mm-hmm. Um I really like the there's a floating room record we're doing this year. Uh, Maya is, uh, who also is on the, 
she's the label president. She has a band called Floating Room, and um, she's an immensely talented person and um, is uh, really talented at, at, at drawing. And so um, her, she does this kind of really cool handwriting that we've used for a lot of different things. Oh, and cool. then she's done, uh, she did the drawing for their first album, which is a mixed media thing where her, her friend took a f- photograph and she, she drew over it. It's really cool. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I see that. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think for, uh, the most part that's worked out pretty well so far. <laughs> The only thing I've ever put my <laughs> really been adamant about was uh, this single art for Cool American where um, they have a song called Maui's that's all about um, uh, it uses an experience he had at this bar in, in North Portland called Maui's as a launching point for uh, this song just kind of about gentrification and, and, and times changing and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, I had him recreate the cover of uh, Huey Lewis in the News Sports, and we uh, the picture was taken at at Maui's. Yeah. So it's uh, <laughs> this entirely like recreated cover. Uh, that's awesome. That, that's the only time I've ever really had a strong <laughs> uh, visual thing, and kind of kind of just put my my thumb on it in that way, just because. You know, a, a digital single art that's ultimately not uh, consequential compared yeah. to you know an album art that's on. That's a true. Thing. Yeah, twelve by twelve. Um, uh, I love the artwork for demos. Uh, the demo release from Little Star, and in mm-hmm. fact, we were supposed to to this. We were supposed to have this uh, conversation a week ago or two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was going through your roster at that time, I downloaded this record, and I've actually been listening to it for the last like two weeks. But what's your thoughts on releasing like uh, like? Um, b-sides records or live records or things that are are you know not maybe like a record that's taken two years to make yeah you know i i've never done a live record it's always something i've thought about particularly um i have a band that's taking a long time to uh get a record together and have suggested to them that we do a small live thing just to kind of have something to keep uh, momentum going um i haven't gone down that rabbit hole we have done the uh a kind of b-sides thing quite a bit um dan from from little star is a very prolific songwriter yeah um and so we've done that with him and then also nathan from cool american he does these things every year uh called better luck next year where <laughs> it's a collection of uh songs that he's written that year that aren't going to be on albums right um and so that was actually he did a a demo collection called that do these get physical releases sorry um, it's all good uh we actually just put out its tape that is a compilation of all of those projects oh okay and the third one um and so it was that first one that he did the, the demos was, uh, you know, the reason why, um, he ended up working with us and we ended up reaching out to him and trying to get him to sign with us, um, because of the, the strength of that material, um, for, uh, uh, so we have this cassette that has all of them on the tape in order mm. and, uh, it's been a pretty popular, product for us so far and i think it's because people like to see that process and yeah um just like you're saying with recording i think home recording can sound pretty cool i think nathan's been pretty good at capturing that stuff and so uh it's a cool document of kind of his process and um yeah there's something i want to ask about while we're on this subject Mm. and it's something i read on your website and and i've been thinking a lot about it but i've always been kind of sheepish about the fact that our label um, does a lot of debut records for bands and songwriters, but in your bio, it's something you're proud of, which was actually really encouraging for me and enlightening. Like, why do you think it's special to be a label that puts out first releases? I think that uh, the reason why I'm, you know, proud of it and why it's something where, you know, right now we're, we just signed a band that we're going to do their first record. Um, I think it's uh, it's a lot easier when you're bringing on a band that has a sales history and has, 
gotten some press and has built an audience doing shows, there's just more of a built-in advantage there Mm -hmm. than, you know, breaking group yourself where, you know, I've, I've, signed bands before they've had Facebook pages. Right. Uh, yeah, me too. Type. Or <laughs> sure. in one case, I, we, you know, we signed a band before they had, had done a public performance. Wow. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, when you're working with bands just at that, uh, you know, so early in the, the curve, I think that demonstrates a certain degree of uh, uh, confidence in the music itself mm. uh, to where um, we've been really confident about a lot of the new bands that we've signed to where even if our audience has no relationship with them and they have no coverage, we know that it's going to be a successful release for us just based on the, the music alone. Yeah. Um, and I also think that it's, it's putting things like uh, music and scene documentation and things of that nature before uh, profits. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, I found it really encouraging because I mean, it's something I've done probably almost more times than not really, you know, cause yeah. I'm working with a lot of, um, local friends and, you know, of course they're songwriters and they've been musicians forever, but, um, just to say, Hey, let's, let's make a record together. And, you know, maybe it's a new side project or, or something. Um, but hearing you kind of celebrate it, um, I found to be really exciting and, and kind of gave it uh, a new outlook for me on, on doing those kind of things. Yeah. I mean, I would say almost like my biggest challenge has been when I do have artists that re up and we have to build on what they've done and, and, you know, mm. do a better job and get them more than we got them last time. Mm. And that's been really challenging Interesting. in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, for me, there's a pretty high degree of comfort when I'm doing something with someone for the first time. And uh, we lately have been, a lot of our releases have been second projects. And I've seen the effect of them building an audience and us building an audience and oh, cool. having music writers we can reach out to and all these things that have already covered them. And there's, there are big benefits to that, but there's also a big series of challenges too. And I also think that where a lot of our roster is now is that they're shopping these projects to um, other labels because I, I don't do the, um, I don't do long-term contracts with bands. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, we're having a process where, you know, we're not sure that we're doing something until they've sent it elsewhere. And mm. so, um, there's a lot of degree of managing, uh, expectations and, and just a lot of challenges that come where you have a really long, a more longer working relationship with sure. someone. Yeah. Well, I've always felt too, that I, I only want to work with a band if I feel like I have something to offer them. And there's, right. there's a lot of times where, um, you know, I'll be talking with a band and it's like, you know, I feel like they've outgrown me you know and and sure so sure. i i feel like that's a big thing with new artists is i'm saying like there's definitely things i can help you with you know a lot of them are are really new to the process and have no idea how some of the some stuff is done so yeah i think that's a big part of it yeah and you know that hasn't happened uh until very recently yesterday actually where <laughs> uh yesterday i had a i got news that one of our our bands had signed to a uh a label that's much larger than ours for their next thing. Um, but with most people, they've done this shopping process and then ended up coming back to me anyway. And it ends up being a thing of just like you're saying, like, you know, what can I do for these people that we didn't do last time? Sure. And the expectations that get put on that, um, uh, can make things pretty stressful, you know, especially when, um, you know, if you're putting out a record and you're relying on a lot of things that you don't have direct control over, oh yeah. You know, again with with press being one of the biggest aspects of that, um, it's it can be you know feel really defeating if you put something out and it ends up getting you know covered on on smaller sites than last time or 
um, ends up not making as big of a splash as the last one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I've seen that process go both ways where, uh, you know, our experience doing Moe's second record was really unusual because his first one got on all the big sites. You know, this one, um, the press side of things was such a disaster to where, uh, you know, the the publicist that we were working with for that one, um, uh, we ended up just having to take off the record. Mm. And I had to pick things up midstream mm. myself for the premieres. Um, and so it got on, you know, compared to the last one, really the, you know, the biggest thing that we got for that, which was really a, a pretty big thing, was a, a Bandcamp album of the day, which was super helpful. Oh, nice. But that was after the record had been out. You know, the the premiere aspect of that record, um, we didn't get on any of the quote-unquote big sites. It was all these these blogs that have, that I already have a relationship with yeah. and that yeah. have music writers that follow us. and. Right. Uh, really devoted readership. Yeah. And so, you know, we went in and circled back with a lot of those blogs for the premieres. And as a result of that, I think uh, the sales for that, it's, it's been our fastest selling record that we've ever done Um, to where, you know, even that one that got on all the big sites, uh, this record has already outsold that record. (laughs) Wow. Uh, to, and the sales of that record to date, it's already outsold it. It was our first um, uh, sold-out vinyl pressing that we've done. And, you know, that's me setting up the premieres in-house, working with writers we know. Um, and part of that has been the audience that Mo has built. But, you know, part of that has sure. been the fact that yeah. the, it's, a, it's a really amazing, ambitious record. But I think that a lot of it is just when you work with the the community aspect of blogs that have readers who are going there to discover music. Mm. I think that's a different set of values uh, that it brings you as opposed to, you know, a site like Stereogun that has a lot of readership where it's people that want to know when the next Tame Impala record's out or something. Right. Like yeah. That. Or even entertainment mu- news now too. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and it's not necessarily people who are, using it as a music discovery tool anymore. That's great. So. That's a g- really good point. And I, I, I had a good, uh, I have a good friend who's a publicist and he taught me to not to underestimate the the power and the value of, of small blogs and even blogs that are, you know, have like 20 or 30 likes on Facebook, like really. Sure. And if they're keen to write about your record and, and to share it, um, I used to kind of be a little, you know, obviously I was looking for the big guys, um, mm. but he taught me to, to really um, direct my attention to these small guys and, 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 and how possibly, you know, 50 small blogs um, can be way more powerful or 10 small blogs, way more powerful than one write up like on, on, like you say, on stereo gum that, that might just have passive readers. Yes. No, I mean, that's 100% been my experience that's, uh, the past few months. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I won't, I won't uh, take much more of your time, but I want to ask you something. You know, according to your website, you guys do a few things that are, are, are really unique and, and, and kind of generous. Like you've, you give 5% of your revenue to charity. Um, yeah. You give bands a half of the product run up front. You've mentioned that already. Um, you, you, you do a lot in the community. Where did this label ethos come from and, and why, like, why is it so important to you? You know, I think for me, I, uh, am not really doing this to either have it be a, a, a job or to kind of, um, I parlay it into something else. Uh, and because of that, I'm able to do a lot of the things we've been talking about in terms of keeping it local and scene based and some mm. of these things. And so the ethos ethos kind of just comes from me wanting to continue doing things the way that, that we've been doing them. Um, and I think that for our audience stuff, like all those things that you mentioned is a big reason why um, people support us and follow what we're doing right and so there's a lot of reasons for yeah, it i mean you know, there's, there's also the fact that um um 
I just value a lot of that stuff in, in general. Mm. Um, you know, I come from um, a family that does a lot of community stuff and, and volunteer work and uh, do, do, um, donating to the community. And uh, so that orientation is, is very much a part of the label stuff too. Mm. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's something that I, I put on our website just because I don't really want to post about stuff like that on our social media channels very often, uh, just because I think it's, there's a lot of, uh, self-serving posts around that kind of stuff, Mm. um, in music lately where I think everyone is kind of trying to outwoke each other on the internet (laughs) and I would just assume not participate in that kind of thing and, and just kind of do what we do and have, uh, you know, our community, our immediate community of, of artists know what's up when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, and that's certainly not to say that, you know, we've done everything right or sure, that, you know, yeah, every band yeah. we've worked with has been happy with us, uh, or that, um, yeah, uh, you know, that I haven't made, you know, financial decisions that I wish I could take back and things <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But I do think that in terms of our, our general orientation, you know, we put a lot of things over profits and I think that, uh, in an industry where, you know, forces like corporate distribution exactly. and, and all these things, yeah. I think that's been somewhat lost. And so yeah. I, I do feel good that we're being at least a little bit against the grain with some of these things. And I love that. And I think that's important because there's a lot of artists um, who, who join labels and are really kind of scared of the idea of a label and, um, yeah. and, and, and are, are defensive and protective. And, um, I think that your ethos and, and, and it's very in line with a lot of people we talk to, um, is just the opposite of, of what labels were known to be in the seventies and in the eighties, you know, and nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if, if we're going to kind of rewrite how, uh, a label should do things like it's just it's great to hear stuff like that where where labels are are kind and generous and and um yeah i think it's great um yeah i uh i think you know two were like i said not not paying for a lot of things on the the front end right and so in a lot of cases we've had projects recoup you know, much faster mm. than other labels that spend, you know, thousands of dollars on yeah, a project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's another advantage too, is that uh, when our budgets are smaller, you know, even in, if an artist has to pay for certain things on their own, um, they're also going to see more revenue overall because they're getting the product up front because they're they're having a smaller budget for their record. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think there are ad- advantages there too. Are you are you happy with how things are going? What's your ideal f- future for the label? Um, you know, I would say overall, uh, you know, things are are have been going very well. I think for me, the immediate challenges that I have are uh, the the big one is kind of like paying off some of our our. <laughs> our debt and open accounts from the, the year before. Right. Uh, I, and uh, the year before that, in some cases, <laughs> I, I, like I said, it's like when you're learning as you go yeah. and you're yeah. teaching yourself how to do something, you end up making mistakes. And, um, you know, I'm having, I'm to the point now where we finally have some catalog titles that are earning uh, a pretty good amount of revenue for us. Great. And I'm having to just like divert that into uh, paying off stuff. And so that's kind of frustrating because I can think about, you know, what I could do for that for the bands we're working with now. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, uh, that's, that's one challenge. I think the other one is um, uh, finding revenue streams. I haven't really had any success pursuing um, distribution or uh, licensing mm. and I, I know Ditto. either of those things would really help us quite a bit. Uh, you know, I've spent a few weeks 
trying to navigate that process and right. have received a lot of rejections and things like that. <laughs> right. Uh, and so that's one thing I would say is like, you know, if you're uh, a band and you submit something to a label and it gets rejected or you don't hear back, uh, you know, you should know that like on the label side of things, we're actually getting rejected for a lot of things too. Um, <laughs> totally. uh, yeah. Whether it's, whether it's yeah. by bands or, or licensing companies or distribution companies or what have you, it's you know, we're, we're getting the exact, uh, we're, we're like doing a different thing, but it, it still comes with the same degree of, of being dependent on other people, you know, taking a chance on you. And yeah, so, yeah. uh, there's so been true. that challenge. And there's also been the stuff of, uh, you know, working with a roster, uh, you know, that's a community, um, navigating, uh, kind of all these bands I'm working with right now that are shopping things around. And so there's a degree of uncertainty because I, I haven't been doing the long-term contracts thing. Mm. Um, are you going to so, change that or are you going to keep it that way? I, uh, I, for new bands that we're working with, I, I'm signing them to short-term contracts um, where there'll be either one or two album right. uh, agreements where it's going to be very easy for them to get out of the second thing. Right. Uh, but <laughs> I still great. just want some degree of uh, certainty and of communication mm -hmm. with people um, where, you know, we're, we're talking with people and I don't hear from them for a while. And then, uh, find out that they're doing their thing yeah. with someone else or, or things like that, where it's, it's, you know, not a, it's not really about, you know, a degree of like, uh, uh, you know, I feel like I own these people or something like that. It's more of just like, you know, I'm trying to get a set release schedule so that I can sure. oh, yeah, uh, prepare totally. and, and do certain things and budget and things like that. And when I don't know if I'm doing, you know, eight things or 13 things in a year, uh, makes that process pretty difficult. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. So I think for me, it would be uh, for the new people. You know, we are going to do that for the people we're already working with. I'm giving them the option to either um, do that or not. Basically, um, I've done everything on a handshake to date. I've been circling back with people about that, and it's about fifty-fifty in terms of people who want a paper agreement or want a. Um, uh, just to, to do things on a handshake basis with me. It's surprising um, how some artists actually want a paper agreement. Uh, I, I, cause I, I'm the same way. I try to, mm -hmm. I try to avoid it if possible. And just because I feel like as soon as like a, there's a contract, it, it like taints the relationship a little bit. And it's a weird conversation to have yeah. with people, you know, especially, you know, like I'm saying, you know, these are people that I'm, uh, you know, that share, uh, uh, community mm -hmm. aspect with yeah, me. Yeah. It's a weird conversation oh, to circle yeah. back and be like, Hey, do you want to sign this thing that I had a lawyer look at or whatever? <laughs> it's just a very, it's just a very strange conversation yeah. to have. Um, but for me, it's just like I'm saying, you know, going forward, I think it's ultimately helpful and particularly in the aspect of, uh, I get questions from, from bands about, you know, what our arrangement is and things like that, because there's a lot of details to doing this. Yeah. And so, you know, if you have a piece of paper, you can just look at it anytime you want and see what the um, terms of the agreement are. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, interesting. So I think that, that it's ultimately a good thing that I started doing it. I, I think it's just one of those things where the difficult aspect is, you know, this new band that we signed, um, the, you know, they got it, you know, right away that I wanted them to, to sign yeah. a, a short-term thing. And I think especially if you clarify uh, the differences between doing a, a short-term thing and the, on the way that we do things and um, the way that a lot of other labels do things in terms of like a lifetime term yeah, or I know. Uh, you, taking, taking part of publishing or claiming ownership of recordings or, you know, any I of know, the things I where... I know, I know. I wish I could yeah, have... Without, do you have a copy yeah. of like a major label contract? I'd love to give them like a major label contract next yeah. to ours. And, you know what I mean? I don't, you know, this Wouldn't is all based cool? on people <laughs> who I've talked to about these matters and things I've read. Yeah. Uh, having a, a carbon copy would certainly be pretty helpful. Um, <laughs> but people, people by the most part, you know, get things when I, when I explain it and the new people are, 
you know, excited and, um, I think are, are, you know, willing to, to sign up because then they also get the, you know, guarantee that we'll be working with them or whatever. Yeah. yeah um, for sure. I think where it's awkward is just the people who have already been working with me yeah. to now have to, to talk about signing stuff. I think it's an awkward <laughs> conversation. It totally um, is. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's hard to not feel, I think where, you know, they're like, think it's like me being distrustful of them or something. I know, I know. Whereas it's like, no, I'm just like, want to make sure that we can have a long relationship that stays the way it is now I, and I, yeah. it doesn't change. I tried um, to, back in the early days, I tried to explain it to bands as like, it's kind of like a marriage license. It's like, you know, um, a married couple doesn't stay together because of that piece of paper. It's because of a mutual respect in a relationship you know and and so that that's how i kind of i felt it was like this is just kind of like us like signing how we feel about each other you know and it's not i'm not going to abide by these things because i have to legally i'm going to abide by these things because it's the right thing to do you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure and and i think that um it ultimately is just one of those things where a lot of unforeseen things can happen. And yeah. so I think when you're, when you bring in an, a, an agreement like that, you're, you're basically committing to just making sure that things are going to be done the right way in the long term. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's ultimately helpful for, for both parties involved. Yeah, no, that's great. Hey, listen, man, thanks so much for doing this. This has been sure. awesome to talk to you. I really appreciate it. I think you have yeah, a great, great label. I, I, uh, Going through some of your stuff again today, just to kind of freshen up, I was like, you know, added a bunch of records to my library. Like, I have so much music to go through now because I'm discovering so That's much awesome. new stuff. That's awesome, yeah. Um, I mean, so we're, we've been pretty prolific and are going to continue that this year, uh, even if it means, you know, doing less vinyl records and, right. and not yeah. paying for certain things. We're kind of committed to doing this this around the same number of things. And so we have a Bandcamp uh, subscription. Yeah. It's only $5 yeah, where you get downloads amazing. for everything. And so, um, wow. I, $5 a year. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted, <laughs> we wanted to keep it really cheap as a promotional tool. Um, we also have a deal on there where you can get some records that we've done and uh, a few other things included um, just to help us cover some operating expenses and yeah. things like that. Oh, totally. Um, I, I remember the uh, Sancho record, actually. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that like came up on a, a blog like like back maybe two or three years ago. And I I had that record and that EP. That's so crazy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, that was uh, a band that Mo did between when his first band broke up and he started his solo career. And so that's kind of a document of um, a period of time where he was in transition. Um, he, it was him. And then um, this guy, Lee Ellis, who was in a, a Portland punk band called Lee Corey Oswald that did warp tour and, and did was that, on, um, they, they did all the songs on that record. Did um, that EP so, do well? Because I would have discovered it not from following you. I would have discovered it just mm-hmm. through music blogs or something. Yeah. You know, uh, that EP was a surprise release. Uh, so it really was just dumped on a, a Friday afternoon. Oh, nice. I Mo love was, Mo was super anxious about getting new music out there after he, um, his longtime band broke up. I think he was really looking to turn the page and, and have people, you know, stop asking him when his old band was playing right. and things like that. <laughs> right. And so I think, uh, uh, had we done a traditional campaign for that, I think it could have been a bigger thing. And we also had a deal on the table to do a seven inch for it, uh, that we didn't do because he wanted it out as soon as possible. Oh, wow. Um, but it was, you know, it was, um, did really well on Bandcamp. It was like one of the best selling releases under Power Pop the week it came out awesome. with no paid, no paid press, Great. no premieres, just yeah. you know, word of mouth type stuff. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that was one of the the 2015 releases that I think a lot of people look back on, and mm-hmm. um, definitely t- two of the 
best songs in Mo's catalog with with uh, something to talk about and um, cooler. They're two of the best songs he's done, and so it's cool to have uh, that still on our discography and all that. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. great. Well, listen, man. Best of luck to you. Um, thanks. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I appreciate it very much. And thank you to everyone for listening. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so. Uh, however you listen to this podcast, really appreciate it. You can reach out to me um, at podcast at otherrecordlabels.com. If you have a suggestion or if your label wants to get involved um, or whatever. Also, please check out Work Hard Playlist Hard, the ebook that we're offering. It's ebook.otherrecordlabels.com. And the coupon code is other for 10% off. Thanks again for listening. 